Hi, Mark. Morning, all. Um, Hi. Um, I see we've got uh, Fran here. I'll just get her to join as well. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our webinar today. Um, we've had a wee tech issue. <laughs> so just bear with us. But our, our, our um, talkers um, weren't on video. We don't know what happened. So we're just waiting for Mike. Uh, but Mark, if you want to crack on and introduce us, and hopefully uh, Mike Dindall from Pinkatch will join General from Pinkatch will join in a minute. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Um, no, I think we're I think we're up and running, just waiting on uh, on Mike. But um, yeah, good morning and uh, welcome everybody to uh, this morning's webinar. Um, as an exit option, why more and more business owners should seriously consider employee ownership. Um, just to let you all know, we will be recording this webinar and then afterwards we'll do the follow up with the recording and the slide deck um, so that you have that for your records. Um, so our speakers today, Fran Lord, Head of Communications and Policy at the EOA, uh, Kevin Uphill, Founder and Chairman at Avondale and Mike Dinnell, Director of Business Development at ThinCats. So the format today, each speaker will have 10 minutes. Um, we invite you to heckle at any point or submit your questions through the chat to me and then I'll go through them um, and hopefully there'll be plenty of questions afterwards. Um, so yeah, at this point, um, we'll get things we'll get things underway and uh, over to you, Fran. Mark, right. thank you very much. Mark, can you go and find Mike? Yeah. About tech issue. Apologies, everybody. Sorry. Bam. Sorry. It's all right. No worries at all. There's always some kind of tech issue. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> this is the nature of the hybrid world we live in. So good yeah. morning, everyone. Uh, and thanks to both Avondale and Cats for inviting me to join you today. Uh, I'm Fran Lord, Head of Communications and Policy at the Employee Ownership, or EOA. For those of you who don't know, at the EOA, we represent the employee-owned sector across the UK. So we champion their interests, we support transitions to EO, and we support continuing development of employee-owned businesses after they've transitioned, and we promote good employee ownership. Our 700-plus corporate members vary in size, so from huge companies such as John Lewis Partnership or Arab Group, to SMEs who make up the bulk of employee-owned businesses in the UK at the moment. They also vary in location. So EO businesses are all across the four nations of the UK uh, and in every corner of each country as well. So there are many formats of employee ownership and there are as many formats of employee ownership as there are employee-owned businesses. It's a very flexible model. Not all employee-owned businesses are 100% employee-owned. You know, you can have a majority employee-owned business, you can have a minority employee-owned business, et cetera. And their structures vary from EOTs to direct share ownership or employee business trusts or a hybrid model. I won't go into the full technical details of that at this point, but the core of EO is that it gives employees a real stake and a say in the business that they work for which leads to more engaged and productive employees and better business practices. So we really believe in the transformative potential for businesses, for their employees and for the UK economy of EO, and also for communities and even the planet. Um, good EO practice can bring benefits to all of these groups. So what do I mean when I say good EO or employee ownership? We do have a wealth of information on what good employee ownership is on our website. Um, but to summarise, we believe that Good EO has three core tenets, which are on the screen here. So good governance. So are employees represented? How are decisions made in the business? And do they involve employees in the governance processes? Good leadership. So do leaders embody the employee ownership ethos? Do they trust their employees? Do they empower them? Do leaders uh, ensure that their employees are given a voice? And good employee communications and engagement. So it's really important from the get-go, so right from when you're thinking about transitioning to employee ownership, to keep employees informed, explain what employee ownership means for the business and for them, and how they can get involved. So on to the next slide, please. I can do that. 
Very Turkish you. <laughs> and apologies, I think Mike's, Mike, Mike's joined us all, everybody, because we're really looking forward to hearing from Tim Cats, but he also appears to be Mark Lebet as well. So I'm very worried we've got two Marks now. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so welcome, Mike. Right, Fran, carry on. All right, no worries at all. Don't jinx it as well. As soon as you say no tech issues, that's when a new one comes along. Right, so now for a quick overview of the EO sector. So these stats are absolutely fresh off the press. We only released them on Friday, which was EO Day, uh, which is our National Awareness Day that happens annually, which is celebrating good EO. Um, so you can see in the graphic on the left that in the past 10 years, the number of transitions to employee ownership has absolutely skyrocketed. So right at the bottom, this might be a bit small for you to see, but right at the bottom is 2013 there, that thin line, that's how many businesses transitioned to EO then. And then the top green box, the largest one is 2022, when we had 332 new employee-owned businesses across the UK in total. We expect that number to keep increasing in coming years. Um, so from 2022 onwards in particular, there was a huge growth, growth rather, but the number of employee-owned businesses has been increasing dramatically since 2014 when the Employee-Owned Employee Ownership Trust, EOT, was uh, introduced by the government. Um, we also believe that high-profile transitions from companies you will have heard of like Richer Sounds and Riverford Organic, Ardman Animations, you make Wallace and Gromit, so high profile transitions like this have helped just raise awareness of employee ownership as a model. And once people have heard about it, they think it's amazing and they're interested. It's just there's a bit of a lack of awareness nationally at the moment, which we're working on. So moving on to the next stat, as I mentioned, in January to December 2022, there were 332 new employee owned businesses, the majority of which were transitions to an employee ownership trust or EOT. And we are now at 1,418 employee owned businesses as of last week. That's growing all the time. So no doubt it's probably already out of, out of date, but it was, la it was 1418 last week. Um, consider that in 2020, at the start of 2020, we were around 500. That is enormous growth. Um, we also measure the growth in the kind of 12 months up to EO Day, which, as I mentioned, was on Friday. And then 12 months leading up to that, there was a 37% growth in the sector. And just on the bottom right here of the screen on my slide, you can see, or you may not be able to see because it's quite small, um, a little breakdown of uh, the key sectors represented in the list of employee-owned businesses. So the biggest section is professional services, which is things like consultancy, accountancy, law firms, etc. Um, it's quite a wide definition, but also heavily represented manufacturing, construction, retail and trade, and information and communications down the bottom there. And we're at the moment really trying to shout more about the transformative potential that employee ownership has for some of the traditionally low paid sectors, such as things like cleaning and care work, um, where having a stake and a say in the way that businesses run and also potentially sharing in dividends can have a really transformative effect for the, for the employees. So we're talking a lot about that at the moment, but as you can see, professional services remain the uh, biggest sector there. So if you want more details on any of these stats on the state of the sector, you can find them on our website, which is employeeownership.co.uk. Uh, but for now, I will yeah. hand back to Mark. Yeah, thanks, friend. Um, I have had one uh, direct question for you um, from an anonymous guest. Um, beyond the financial incentives, uh, what are some other benefits of selling to EO? Oh, great. Thank you, Mark. Um, so we find that a lot of founders are interested in selling to their employees because of the advantage it has when it comes to um, leaving a really strong legacy. So maintaining the culture and ethos of the company. So a lot of founders, you know, they've really built a company that 
has this really strong culture and if they sell if they do a trade sale or something they may be they may lose that also there's a level at which is easier to maintain your legacy when you're proud of the business when you've gone if you sell it to employees also we find that employee businesses are more resilient and more profitable on average than their non-employee-owned counterparts um and employee-owned businesses tend to remain embedded in local areas um where they're smes um so you know they're really part of the community they're not sold to some big corporate that's based offshore um they continue making a positive impact in the local area and um they uh tend to be much tend to have much happier and more engaged employees in the long run so it's a win-win situation really perfect thanks and i've just had another one from ben uh does the government have a target for number of eot's in the uk no it doesn't actually but there is a consultation happening later this year from the government on uh the state of um EOTs and whether they should be tweaking anything encouraging more etc so we're hoping for further support essentially going forward okay great um I don't have any more questions for you Fran at this time so uh Kevin over to you thank you Fran that that's great uh, a really useful uh, backdrop and hopefully we've got another four due in the next couple of months Fran so those those stats will go up um, although I have noticed that the, the, there's a slowing up now, so there's the 330 a year in 2021 and then 2022, so uh, I'm intrigued as to what might be causing that. But I think maybe some of it is because the transition is considered quite complex and uh, we don't think it is, and that's what I'm going to talk about now, if that's okay. So um, we got into EOTs in 2016, we did evaluation and then went away scratching our heads saying, what is this? Because the legislation went in in 2014 and it wasn't well publicised um, and nobody really understood it. But as you can see now, with 1,400 companies uh, uh, already joining, there is some real momentum. And actually, we think there's something like 30,000 companies this could suit. So uh, it's not really started. Um, there's there's 3 million SMEs in the UK, uh, but in terms of ones that employ more than, say, 15 people um, and make more than three or 400,000 a year, which is really where EOTs kick in, um, there, there, there's, there's something like 30,000. So there's a quite a big market to go at uh, for this. Um, but we're often asked, should I do an EOT or should I do a trade sale? Uh, and I want to really just talk about that. Um, if you can get a trade sale and if you're looking to maximise your value rather than, as Fran discussed, the legacy play, if you can get a trade sale at a multiple of eight or nine and it's all cash on completion, it's very difficult for an EOT to compete with that if you want the money. Um, if you are more legacy driven, you want to perhaps carry on working for a while and um, you are prepared to wait for some of your money, which is the fundamentals behind an EOT structure, then an EOT could be right for you. And, and really that suits sectors where multiples aren't at the highest. Um, uh, so, you know, so if you can get a multiple of eight or 10, then probably EOT is not right. If you are looking purely at cashing in, if you are looking at what's my legacy, it's a very, very different question. Um, but what we do is we set up a new code that is a company limited by guarantee, and it owns the shares on behalf of, um, of, of all the beneficiaries. So there's no direct ownership. The new co buys the old co for the benefit of the employees. And with a company limited by guarantee, and that's, that's what you use for trusts and uh, charities, um, it means that it deals with the comings and goings of all the employees. Um, we normally set it so that employees don't join for the first year, but thereafter they're automatically beneficiaries. Um, and it owns the business for all, all of their benefits. So we're very keen that when we do that, from the start, we agree and load in an employee bonus. The, the government very generously have given up to 3,600 a year tax-free bonus to employees. Um, and as Fran has already said, 
Um, that opportunity for a, a dividend or a bonus, as, as, it, as it's called, uh, is a key part of this because the, the guys and girls on the shop floor um, can get paid more with that tax-free benefit, which helps with retention and it helps with, with motivation. In terms of how you fund and finance these, uh, and I did notice there was a question in about management buyouts. Um, it's, it's, it's different for every single one. They're very flexible. I'm going to talk about it as if it was a 100% sale. You don't have to do that, but you can only do 51%. But I, I'm quite keen that it's higher than 51% because the conversation of going in and saying, hey, we're employee owned, and then they go, yeah, but you still own 49% of it is, is a difficult one. Um, and the tax break, the 0% tax you get if you sell to an employee ownership trust is a one-off. So if you do retain shares, you will be paying capital gains tax at whatever it is. And of course, the commercial incentive for people today, the 0% tax versus if you sell a business, everything over a million is at 20%. And we are concerned that capital gains tax will go up further. So there is a real tax incentive from the government to make sure that uh, we are looking at the, the, the transactions. But it shouldn't be done just for tax. In the end, if you do it just for tax, all you've done is create a very tax effective structure for yourself as sellers. You still need to be focused on uh, how do you create a team driven business? How do you do purposeful capitalism for employee ownership trust? So one of our key, key pitches, if you like, in the market is too many people are focused on the technicalities, company limited by county with a trust deed, um, all the legals and not thinking enough about the strategy, which is how do I create a team-driven business? How do I ultimately step back? Uh, and how do I put, you know, put this business as a legacy beyond me uh, as, as a shareholder? Now you've got time to do that. So we quite often do in EOTs where sellers stay involved, they stay managing directors, um, and they start backfilling, building some of that team to, to help them do it. But the fundamentals of the finances that whatever uh, EOT payments have to come out, they come out via distributable reserves. So much like an MBO, what you're doing is you're using the company's cash flow to do the deal. So we've got this new company, company limited by guarantee. It is buying the old co and it is using the cash flow of the old co to buy the transaction and or any spare cash that it may have built up at, at completion. Now, normally we are running these over six or seven years. And that's go back to the point about a management buyout. A management buyout normally over three or four years. And that's because you've got to step back, you're trusting the management to do it, and you are um, waiting for your money uh, in trust. With an EOT, slightly different. You can go for a longer period because you can probably have a bit of longer involvement, uh, continuing on, the, on, on one or other of the boards, for example. I'll talk about that in a minute. So, so they, they, they can beat management buyout valuations uh, and reasonably materially because you can go for slightly longer periods. But if you go too long, the, the, the question in the end is, well, what's in it for the management? Because ultimately you need to create a team driven business. Uh, and for us, therefore, you can't really value these businesses until you understand um, in the end, what's the handover, who's going to run it and what do they need to be paid? And remembering with the senior management, you probably have taken a management buyout away. So you may need to create incentive for them to, to lock them in and motivate them under an EOT structure. Um, an EOT for management, if it's done right, will be better than an owner-managed business because owner-managed businesses tend to take higher dividends. EOTs, once the payment structure is paid off, then that's when the profits really get going for the benefits of the employees. So it, it, it's quite exciting for them, but it has to be presented in, 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 in the correct way. So we set up this new co, it buys the old co, it is using the cash flow over a period, and effectively that cash flow therefore is tax-free. You've got the 0% tax, but you've also got the cash flow of the business coming out over a period of time to buy itself for the benefit of the employees. Um, and so then really, you could say, well, couldn't we, Kevin, put the business under management, in which case, you know, we'd still have that income coming in. And I'd say, yes, but you'll be paying dividend tax at 38%. If you do an EOT, it'll be at 0%. So if you do that over six or seven years, and you're saving 38%, 40% each year, 
you've almost doubled your money over the period on what you would have got if you put it under management. Add to that, and this is the most important, purposeful capitalism, creating a team-driven business that invests more locally, looks to retain people, and defends your legacy. Uh, and where you can continue to be involved. And that is where it gets really exciting. So you get this double whammy of the tax break, shouldn't be done for that, but purposeful capitalism in employee ownership and how that then contributes more to the, to the economy on a wider basis. So say typically we're structuring these over six or seven years. And that actually is one of the cons. As I said, right at the start, if you want to have all the cash uh, and you can get them out for a 10 and it's an international trade buyer, EOT very difficult to match that from a valuation perspective because you are waiting for, 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 for your money. And actually, that money is subject to cash flow. So it can only be paid if the business has earned it. Um, so although we call it a loan note, it's a very strange instrument. It's more like a, a capital dividend because it's subject to cash flow. And that's there to protect the employees. Um, now, one of the things you can do, we're here from ThinkApps in a minute, is I've talked about it really as if the company's buying and purely on a vendor loan over a period from you. And that that's that is a lot of them are being structured that way. But a lot are also being structured because people are saying, well, yeah, we really like it, but we would like more cash up front. You know, we, we want to buy the villa in Portugal as well as do this. Uh, and, and we don't want to wait that long for our money, which is where third party jet then comes into in, in, into structuring these. Um, uh, and uh, they work well for the uh, bigger uh, EOT transactions. So I'll be passing over to Mike in a second uh, uh, from FinCaps to explain how, how, they, how they work and how that can get rid of one of the cons of the EOT sale, which is, ah, I've got to wait for my money. Uh, I say that's a con. Uh, I also believe there's some positives with that. Having sold businesses for 30 years, I can tell you that entrepreneurs that quit overnight can be market disruptive in their own personal lives uh, and EOTs get rid of that because they can continue to have an involvement. So that really soft gradual exit is, is actually, some people see it as a con, but I think actually there's a big pro, which is the gentle step back over time is what you, you can potentially achieve here as shareholders. Right. I'm going to shut up. We've got more questions coming in. And uh, uh, Mark, back to you to introduce Mike. Yeah, well, um, just firstly, Kevin, just a, a question here following on from your um, cash out point. So from John, is there a recommended ratio of cash out to exiting owners and cash retained to provide businesses to employees? You know, really flexible structure. So there's no absolute recommendations. And ultimately, it depends how generous the sellers are. You know, if, if you're already very, very wealthy and you're not too worried about the money, then what I would suggest we do is we, we start pushing all the employees and the senior management into the upper quartile of pay uh, for the sector. Um, and I think, you know, we... we so you're not going to get a warehouseman who's overpaid by 20 grand a year. But but this is about can we use that 3,600 tax-free allowance a year? So typically what we do, um, it's really weird. It works out at like 1% of gross profit. Depend, doesn't seem to matter what sector it is. But we start with an employee bonus of about a grand a head. And then we look to work up to that 36 uh, tax-free bonus. But of course, if that is paying more than your competitors, you will retain people more, you will attract the better talent. And that, that's the key to that decision. And the, the other thing is to make sure the senior management are promoted. So, you know, if somebody's on 60, 70K a year as a manager, you're now promoting them to the board. Do we add another five grand, another eight grand to recognize that additional fiduciary duties, but also show the direction of travel for the senior management that once the loan notes are paid off and the structure is paid for, you will get in the upper quartile of pay from your, from your sector. And that again, retains uh, and builds talent. Thanks, Kevin. I've had another one. Um, are you aware of any EOT business having gone through a sale process? Presumably there is no reason yeah. why there can't be a subsequent sale assuming the overall offer is sufficiently attractive? No, there's no reason. Um, there aren't many resales, and that's because EOTs suit businesses that probably didn't suit the trade sale in the first place. 
Um, there are also three hurdles. One, they've got to pay the loan note off. Well, there's lots of new ones that have got a loan note in, in, in place there to start with. Two, the capital gains tax has rolled to the trust. The trust will be paying 20% or if it does go up, could be 40%. And three, any distribution will be out PAYE. So there's there's two really big tax hurdles plus the loan note hurdles. So that, that can really impact on, on the value. We see these as long-term business models. I think it's it's wrong to go in selling to the employees, this is a shareholder value play. This is an income play for them. We are looking to put the business model in perpetuity and it's more about a tag team for the senior management. However, they can be resold. No business lasts forever. Um, and it, 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 it's a, it, it'll be a, a key debate for the trustees to make that decision and make the decision how the proceeds are distributed. As a trade buyer, I've got a little bit of a concern. These businesses are quite cultural, so I've got more of a difficult gap if I do buy it. Plus, I've just given all the employees a year's salary. And that's not necessarily a good idea because people then take their years sabbatical, right? So I would structure it much more carefully than I would a a a, a trade to trade acquisition, and I'd probably look to drop the value and, and increase pension bonuses and things like that, so that I can lock people in more. But there's not enough evidence of how this is going to work because they're, 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 they're new. Um, another one. So, can you reverse an EOT once done? Or oh, can you reverse an EOT minority majority and then do an MBO or partial sale? Same same answer. You could buy it back out in different ways and different structures. But I don't think that's right. I think if you go into an EOT, think about it and long-term legacy. Fran mentioned John Lewis. It's 100 years old. Okay, they're in the press now, but they're the last retailer in the country to have those problems. That's the strength of the EO model. And what would be a, a typical multiple a seller could expect when selling to EOT? It depends on the period, but if, if you went with my seven years, go much longer than that, what's the upside for the employees, the upside for the management? But the, therefore, it's probably going to be a multiple of five or six because, you know, you've got to pay for corporation tax before you can pay your loan notes, so you need a bit of headroom in that. So, so uh, yeah, that's a typical valuation, but it just depends on the sector. I don't think just doing a price earnings valuation makes any sense at all because the company buying itself for the benefit of the employees. So it, the cash only comes from one place, the company, and, and that's what should drive the valuation. Cash flow forecasts and, 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 and rather than really a price earnings valuation. All right, last one, because I know uh, Mike is itching to get on for his uh, his section. Um, what are the downsides of an EOT sale versus, say, a trade sale? Well, so, some say it's having to continue working. <laughs> you know, it don't always happen. We've got some sellers where one drops out, one carries on working. So it's quite good for that. It's got different ages. Um, uh, others say um, the waiting for the money. Uh, yeah, which is a present value risk, isn't it? Uh, uh, 85p today is worth more than a promised pound tomorrow, I think is the corporate finance principle there. So, so yeah, there's a risk if you wait for your money. Uh, um, and that, that's a, a big downside uh, as well. I think, to me, probably today, and I, I can't answer one of my questions on, on why EOTs might be slowing up. 300 years, really good, but there's loads of companies this suit. I think the downside at the moment is the perceived complexity. People just don't get it. They're so caught in the shareholder value model, they can't flip to, well, these are cooperatives. And I think we as advisors and, and EO associations and, and lenders and such can do something about that, which is demystify them, make them simpler, which makes them more exciting. So a con could be they're perceived to be complex. They're not. These are no more complex than management buyer. Perfect, thanks. Well, I think that's um, the perfect opportunity to uh, hand over to you, Mike. Yeah, no, brilliant, thanks Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, there is only one Mark Labette. Um, there's only one Mike Donnell as well, to be fair. So <laughs> I think the yeah, world's fine with just one of us. Um, just briefly, I'll just explain those who don't know who Thinkats are, because we, you know, we're not going to advertise on the television or anything like that, you know, because we actually support 
uh, SMEs, predominantly the mid-market um, uh, across the UK. Um, we've been around for quite a long time, but you might not have heard of us. But in simple terms, we are a senior lender like a bank. We've, uh, you could call us a, you know, um, a, a sort of um, challenger lender in the marketplace that have existed quite simply because of the banks and their restrictions on how they link money to, to SMEs. Um, so an organization like ThinkCat exists purely because there is a gap in the market. Uh, we don't just do EOTs. Um, we, we do everything from MBOs, which as far as we're concerned, we look at EOTs in a very similar way to MBOs. But we also do things like growth finance, uh, CapEx funding, working capital. So everything you think a bank should do to support businesses, that's what ThinkCats does. So really simple. Um, now, when it comes to uh, EOT, um, and, and I suppose in general how we lend money, we are, what Kevin just said there is, we are very simple lenders. You know, we don't complicate things. We look at a business and we understand what they're trying to do in terms of their strategy. So whether there's a transaction on the table, whether it's an MBO or an EOT, um, we're, we're quite simply looking, looking for some key things for us to get comfortable with the business so we can lend them the money you know, to help people grow, to secure employment, and for dreams and ambitions for, for the individuals who are, who are owning that business. Uh, a big part of what we do is succession planning, hence why we, we, we like EOTs. We, we're a big believer in, in, in securing employment, but also entrepreneurs. Um, entrepreneurs in the business create energy. They're, 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 they're always the, the, the entrepreneurs are not always the people who own the business, quite a lot. As, I, as, as we see with EOTs and MBOs, the energy and the entrepreneurship is actually in the tier below. Um, and so we're trying to unwrap that and encourage growth um, through businesses by, you know, un, you know, removing the traps of actually people who, who are actually just caught in the business. So EOTs to us are a really good way of doing that. So, um, so in general, you know, we, we back people. We back management teams, um, and as long as we see that succession in the business, and it's generally people businesses, we we look to back EOTs because um, it we can see the incentive the incentives there, which I think Kevin and Fran both mentioned uh, earlier. It's a big part of what we're looking for to say why is this EOT happening? If it's an afterthought, and yes, there's a tax benefit. Of course, there is. If it's just the reason that's why it's doing it, we're not. We we, we back off. We, we we you know we'll smell that straight away. We're looking for those businesses that are genuinely looking to progress and grow their business. And the 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 next phase of growth is because they want to bring the entrepreneur uh, the entrepreneurs out of that business to to help it grow. Um, what's key to us is getting good advice, getting good solid advice from people like. You know the Kevin's and the Marks out there, uh, even Dale. Um, your legal advice um, is really key. You know the, you know it, it isn't. It doesn't have to be complicated, but actually, if you know there are certain things of the legal process that actually, you know, you do need good guidance there, and also the governance. I think which uh, I think Fran touched on as well, um, because we do expect a level of sophistication with our clients. We expect them to be able to understand what the loan consists of how they're going to repay the loans but also their their financial management uh, needs to be uh, quite robust because the way we lend money is is not against an asset we're not looking for guarantees uh, we're not looking for property or assets we're predominantly looking for a viable business that can service the loan and repay us back and it's it's cash flow lending as we call it um and um the, the simple way we look at it is and how we structure a loan alongside the advisor, alongside the all parties to say, how much can this business afford to borrow over a sensible period through their projected cash flow? And by understanding that in a, in a, in a, in a financial model, we can structure that debt in a palatable way for not just repaying that loan, 
but to also make sure that business has enough retained cash after you've serviced the loan to continue to invest, continue to grow its people or, or its capex expenditure or for whatever it's needing it for. We don't just want to put the loan in place just to pay us back. So we're keen to make sure whatever loans we put in place are are structured in a way that actually the business can continue to to operate as it as it was before really really important that um but the i suppose the the bit i i i get involved with with regards to eot is uh, and i think kevin touched on this um there is quite simply the best way of funding an eot um is don't need to borrow any money you know, because guess what? We we charge interest. So if if you can fund it in a way where actually there's no no debt, you know, you're not borrowing any money. Well, guess what? You're not going to be paying uh, a large level of interest back. But the problem with that is, is this: it's you know, people who are selling the business actually would prefer to get a bit of that money out more aggressively, um, or maybe a, a lump sum up front. And unfortunately, if the business hasn't got that cash or actually you're taking too much of cash off the balance sheet, that could actually impact the business. It could have a, a, a detrimental effect to the business after the EOT transaction. So it's always good to evaluate, actually, is debt a good option? It's normally a good option alongside the vendor keeping some of that, uh, what we call junior debt alongside our, our senior loan. Um, because quite simply, we can allow more to be paid out at the at the at the first point of transaction we can fund the business to allow more of the funds to go out day one so that's the way i call it it's it's a way of accelerating the cash out to the vendors in a, in a transaction I'll, I'll give an analogy of that so let's say a business was sold for five million pounds if there's enough cash in the business that they can afford to pay a million pounds to the vendor for five years and if the cash is going to be in the business then great, you don't need a loan. But if I said to you, well, okay, we could pay three million pounds to the vendor day one, and he has that, uh, or he or she has that three million pounds out day one, and then you're structuring the remaining two over a five-year period, then that's the best way of showing actually you can accelerate the cash out of the business by taking on additional debt. Um, Another point that's really important, which I'm starting to understand more by talking to more um, EOTs, um, and Fran might, might touch on this, um, she might see more experience of this, but what the reason we exist is because certain banks don't like certain transactions. EOT, unfortunately, is one of them, because uh, there's, there's reasons why banks don't like it, because possibly... You've no longer got a single owner or two owners who have control over that business. And actually, sometimes owners have to put money back in. So they have to put equity back in. If you haven't got those people who can put equity back in under an EOT, you're not going to go and walk around um, John Lewis and say, right, everyone, this next month you're not getting paid because we need you to all to invest in the business because we need to go and open a new store on um you know Birmingham High Street or something like that. You know, they're not going to go back to the employees and ask for, for any equity. So I think from a bank perspective, they see that, that that that's that's closed. We don't see that. We see that as actually an opportunity for us to continue to support the business for for the future as well. So by going into an EOT, you've got to be careful that if you haven't got a funding partner alongside you, then they, you know, who are you going to speak to when you need to raise further capital in the future? If we're involved from the outset as a funding partner, as your bank, if you want to call it that, um, we're more likely to support you in the future when you've got growth opportunities to come. So having a funding partner alongside a business in general is a very important thing. Um, suddenly, if you haven't got a funding partner alongside you, if it does start to rain and you haven't got that umbrella, you know, who are you going to be able to speak to? And so that is something that I'm very keen on because the whole point of why we do OT is, is to protect employment. It's no good that in two, three years' time after the EOT has happened, that the business doesn't exist. So the final point I'd like to make is, is whenever we're looking to support EOT, 
there are a number of parties around the table, whether that's your advisor, the, the lawyers, the, the vendor themselves and the employees. And of course, sometimes we're at the table as well. And the really, really key part for me is as long as everybody around that table is putting the business first, it's thinking about where is this business going to be in the next 12, two, three years, four years, five years, you know, as long as everybody's putting the business at the heart of it, it's a positive to me. And that's why we look to support those type of transactions. Um, if it's, if it's weighted too far in, in, in someone's favor, uh, we're suddenly not at the table, it's as simple as that. Um, but we're really keen to support EOT. We see it as a really important um, avenue for people to uh, progress and uh, with that succession planning. Uh, and we seriously see growth in EOTs over, over the next decade. And, uh, you know, people like Avondale and, and definitely the EOA in terms of the, you know, the signposting and the quality of information you can get there is really important. Um, but yeah, in simple terms, yeah, we're here to we're here to support businesses in general. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, just on that point, we just had a question from John. Are there any size constraints on companies that would fit the EOT model? Um, too small, too big? Um, you know, in terms of your lending capacity, is there a minimum criteria that you look forward to in terms of either profitability or 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 is it just general annual recurring revenue? Yeah, really good question. So in general, there are there are there are a couple of other funders out there um, that may do um, that may vary. So I'll, I'll just talk from a ThinkCat perspective, um, and this isn't just for EOT. This is this is for any form of lending. It's just because we we've, we've got our own restraints in terms of our own resource. So we have to choose the market that we we we. Uh, we fund and we fund mid-market and what we class as mid-market is where a business is having a sustainable level of profitability EBITDA um, uh, over a million pounds um, so if your business is hitting that sort of level that's where we get involved we're, we you know we we just haven't got the resource to do any you know, to do businesses that are under that um, so but in terms of capacity constraints and sorry and amount of lending not really no we don't really have a, an upper limit um it when we say that you know if if the debt quantum gets to about 25 30 million it's probably not a think that's deal it's probably more a corporate lender out there um but yeah we, we we fill a very large space and um in terms of the sort of metrics we look for in a business is um is leverage so what is the EBITDA level to the level of debt that you're looking to borrow um and that varies. It depends on the 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 the, the sector we're lending to. Um, uh, but generally, it's 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 less than three times EBITDA. Um, and we look for um, serviceability of the loan. So we have some control over that because we're structuring the loan. So if we can taper the amortization of the loan um, over the term, we can help structure lending to make sure it's within a parameter that we're looking for. So we have some element of um, control over that. But fundamentally, yeah, we expect people to have a good debt service cover availability uh, on a forward-looking projections. Um, we expect businesses to hold cash. We, we expect businesses to have good liquidity. We don't want them to run out of cash. Mm. You turn the lights off, the businesses... You can do a smaller... I mean... But for us, Mike, we're seeing that, you know, if you've got, and I appreciate you're talking about mid-market, yeah. what we define as emerging mid-market, you know, actually SMEs with profits of three, 400K and 10 plus employees can do it. It's just, they're not going to easily debt fund it uh, and they're going to have to probably do a vendor loan. And, and that's fine. I, I, I always set the bar at, in fact, I've got one where it's a 300K profit. It is a bit small for an EOT. But once you get to that, the tax benefits don't work so well because if you go lower than that, you've got pension planning and all sorts of other ways where you can deal with remuneration. So really, when you get to 300k plus profit, that's when you're paying 50% tax on the lot, however you pull it out. And that's when the tax incentives kick in. But, but sometimes for the small ones, it can also just be... Um, I'm thinking of one in particular we're talking to where um, they 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 do uh, work for a lot of medical associations and stuff, and it you know it it suits that sector uh, as their succession because their associations 
although they're a trade company, they're dealing with associations. It makes more sense to be employee owned. So I think 300k, 10 plus employees is probably it. Yeah, and, and also, also, uh, Kevin, I think what we, we we both sort of understand, and this is where where the right advisors come in, is there is a level of sophistication you expect with a certain client, and we expect, um, a, a, you know, quite a robust um, set of projections that the businesses can prepare a business plan. Uh, so, you know, whether you like it or not, we, we you know, or whether you see it or not, I, I think to some high that actually when business are, are getting to a certain level of revenue and profitability, you tend to see, uh, you know, um, more advisors around the clients and therefore the quality of the financial information, which we heavily rely on. Um, you know, we're not we're not relying on a, on a property we're lending against or a, or a load of assets. We're fundamentally relying upon a, an Excel spreadsheet um, telling us how much the business is going to repay us in the future. So mm -hmm. we need that robust assessment to be really important. So hence the advice around the client to us. Um, and that's why sort of that market for a thing cats is really important. Having those the right robust financial assessments is very key for us. Yeah. Um, Mike, could I just add a more broad answer? Um, because I think we went into some detail there, which was really helpful for kind of thing cats and Avondale, but um to address the kind of broad answer, we the EOA has lots of members that are fewer than 10 employees. Um, but also I would just emphasize the fact that employee ownership is not a way to save a drowning business that isn't doing well. Um, you need to be in a healthy place and it needs to be done for kind of the right reasons, which is not, you know, uh, trying to get out of a difficult fin financial situation. It just won't work. So those are just the bits I wanted to add there. Yeah, absolutely. No, brilliant. Um, so I'm slightly conscious of the time and we've still got um, three more questions. So maybe a general one. If you have an existing EMI option how would that work with an EOT? I'll take that. Kevin, you want to take that? I've had two this year with EMIs. One worked, one didn't. Depends yep. on how well written it is. Um, but ultimately it would exercise and the um the EMI holders would get their money um because if they choose to exercise their options um and then they're back in as uh, beneficiary uh, owners within the employee ownership structure going forward. Um, so, uh, uh, but that depends how they're structured. The one that fell over, um, the wording just not, was not quite clear enough on the sale of a limited company. It talked about assets, so it was just really poorly written. But yes, it would trigger. Uh, and, and of course, that's good because it creates a trigger event as a reward for the senior management team. And then they can see under EO that they're moving into the next cycle. Um, remembering, of course, the EMI schemes only last 10 years. Some people like to do EOTs and put, a, put in another EMI scheme alongside it. When you've done an EOT, what you end up with really is kind of three governance areas. You've got the employee invoice. We want to hear from them more. We want the business to be run for their benefit. We want uh, uh, to create an increase in transparency. In the centre, you've got the management board. Who's going to run it? They are the directors. What's the commercial business model? How successful is it? And then over here, you've got the trustees. Is the business being run for the benefit of the employees? Are the loan notes being paid, for example? Think school governor, it's a check and control. Um, so, so I think, you know, the, the idea for having an EMI after an EOT is can you lock in the senior management alongside it? Given that I've said that resales are unlikely and that EMIs only last 10 years, I'm slightly nervous about that, but but some people are doing it. Um, so so you can have one both before and after is the answer to the question. Yeah, perfect. Thanks. Uh, Mike, one for you. Does ThinCats include deferred consideration as debt for the purpose of leverage calculation, even if it's non-interest bearing? Uh, no. Um, when we look at leverage, we look at um, look at the senior senior debt in the business yes deferred is debt but because it is it is effectively subordinated to us um whilst we allow it to be paid alongside us we're, we're happy with that if the business can afford to make those payments out of cash flow or out of cash reserves um and it doesn't you know again remove that safety of the business in terms of its ability to service our loan 
we're happy for those to be paid. So as long as it, yeah, it, it, it's 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 not captured in the in the leverage calculation as far as we're concerned. Yeah, no, makes sense. Um, all right. So last question I've got here from uh, from an anonymous: um, Is there a risk that vendor tax incentives are to be waived depending on the structure of the vendor cash out or earn out? That's I'll have a go. to, to anybody. If the question is if this is a tax scheme, the answer is no. You know, these are genuine arm's length sales where all the major government parties want them. EO Association is doing a really good job in engaging government directly on that as well. Um, so if you've locked in your tax, they should not be looking at it retrospectively. However, it is really important that you do have a genuine change of control. So it's got to be the majority of the shares and you can't carry on exactly as you were before sole dictator running the business you have got to build a board and create an employee team driven business model to, to, to make sure you don't get any respective tax challenges on the change of control and it does go full circle because it's really interesting in the end forget the sale to the shareholders and how much they get their capitalists what we are trying to do here is create really good employee limited companies yeah they, they are cooperatives but they only work if the commercial business model has competitive advantage um and 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 that is about you know how good the strategy is same as any business so we don't get confused uh, uh with the planning element to versus versus the good business model and how that puts the employee first as well as another another key key question Perfect, thanks. Um, well, I don't have any further questions um, from any of the attendees at this time, so we're we're slightly under the full hour. Um, so, yeah, I think at this point, um, thanks to Fran and Mike and Kevin for joining, uh, despite the tech issues at the beginning, we got there at the end. Um, and like I said at the beginning, we have recorded this, so we'll follow up with the recording and the uh, slide deck. And, um, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Fran. Thank you, Mike, Mark, whatever you're called. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great rest Definitely of the day. Definitely, Mike. Thanks, okay, guys. Thanks, bye. Bye.